Okay, are you ready? I was talking to myself. <clears throat> but I think so. What I wanted to talk, what I really wanted to talk about this morning was the presence, the presence of God. The presence of God, and that's been the whole theme, the worship, just like, oh my word. It's so amazing how that works out. I couldn't have selected the, the worship songs and done a better job. That's just not the way we do it. Uh, I mean, I hope we do a good job, but that's not the way we do it. We don't organize this in advance. It's like Christy puts a song selection together, a worship set together. She's praying. She's seeking the Holy Spirit. She puts a worship set together, and... and any time during the week, I am putting together the thoughts that, that I feel like I, that I am getting uh, Holy Spirit thoughts to get a message put together. And, and this week, I really felt like one of the, I'm still having a little bit of a hard time getting started here, but One of the, really the main thoughts is, I was, you know, the presence. We are very much a presence-driven, presence-oriented. There's nothing that we desire more than what we got to experience this morning, and that's the presence of Almighty God in, in our midst. It's like we have to miss like one Sunday and do a little bit of traveling to come back and go, wow, we have something very sweet, very special here. We are blessed. Man, we just say together, we're blessed. We're not blessed because of Pastor Lynn or Pastor Renee or Pastor Christy or Pasty. Pasty. <laughs> or Pastor Matthew or Pastor Tim. That's all part of the blessing. We are blessed because this is a place that God visits. We get to experience his presence. I would say that God dwells. And it's like, thank you, Lord where we get to come together and worship and, and just feel his presence just surround us, just all around us. I, I started crying a long time ago. I got a, one of those tissues right down there where I was like, you know, we might have to have the carpet cleaned there. I'm down on my knees, just getting a really good mix of snot and tears down there. And I, I tried to catch most of it with the... Susie, I'm sorry. But... Because God is so good. God is so good. Mm. Uh, in case I forget this part, I'm going to just, just say it right now. You know, sometimes when we, when we enter into the, the, the presence, like just the weighty presence of God, it's like, why in the world, if it's the joyful, wonderful presence of God, do you just snot up, tear up, and just start bawling? Even... Even, I mean, ugly cry. Where it's, <laughs> it's like, why? It's like, I figured that out. I got a revelation this morning when I was thinking about the presence, the presence of God. And it's like, you know how we've talked about before, you know, God, the authority, the, authority, the, the omnipotent God. And then we've talked about Jesus, the Son, being the Son of God, fully God, fully man, Jesus, the Son of God. And then we talk about the Holy Spirit, who's our, our guide, our comforter, our, our, our teacher. And I think, I think I told this a story, I know I told a story one time about, you know, being just fine. 
our dads teach us to pretty much be tough guys for the most part. You know, we don't want to cry. We don't want to, it's like, oh, no, no, no. Suck it up, buttercup, be tough. <laughs> you know, so, so that, that's what, I mean, the father, it's warrior. It's, it's, it's all of those, those things from our perspective oftentimes. But then when we come into presence like that, it's like, man, that is like the feminine side. And I think like Holy Spirit, that's, that's what I think of as like my mom. The Holy Spirit was my mom. I mean, I danced with my mother. She would hold my hand in one, hold a belt in the other, and we just <laughs> danced around in a, a, a circle like that. You know, it's like, that's why, that was dancing with my mom. But see, when, when I really needed comfort in my life, I didn't go to my dad, who was my teacher, my mentor, taught me about business, taught me about men's stuff, taught me to hunt fish, work, all of that. That's when I ended up, I went to my mom, and, and if I was struggling or, or, or hurting, I remember the first time I got, well, anyway, to go to my mom, and all I had to do was, oh, honey, and then I'd start crying. You know what I'm talking about? Even men, you know what you're talking about. When you were young, when you were little, you ran to your mom and that's how you, how you teared up. It's like, when I get into the presence of God, into that safe, safe place, coming into his arms, so, so oftentimes I have now entered that place of safety and that place of love and it's, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about now? The presence, the presence, the presence. Entering into his presence. Okay, I want, to, I want us to go to First Chronicles chapter 13. I'm going to be reading verses 7 through 14. First Chronicles chapter 13, verses 7 through 14. As David, King David, wanted the presence of God... In Jerusalem, the city of David, he came up with a plan because he wanted the presence of God close to him. He wanted to be able to enjoy the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant carrying the presence of God. You're with me? Okay, you're there. I just want to read the, uh, we'll probably start with, yeah, verse 6, and I'll probably skip some names. And David and all Israel went up to, yeah, that, that place, uh, to that place, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. So we're bringing the presence of God. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio. They drove the cart. Then David, so they placed, we're just going to break this down a little bit, they placed the ark of God on a cart. And they figured out a plan. i got to back up a little more backstory first. They, pl they came up with a plan and all of the men decided, they talked about it, said, this sounds like a great plan. So the plans of men was not exactly in line with the plan of God. And, and so they carried the ark on a brand new cart from the house of the sky they, and, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. 
Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing, harp, stringed instruments, tambourines, cymbals, trumpets. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand out to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against him, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, therefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? So David became afraid of God because of the, rick, the, the strict, stringent, struckered, wow. Let me start over. Strict, stringent, structured, specific, formal, regimented ceremony which was necessary to move the presence of God. So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David now, into Jerusalem, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom. Yeah, the Gittite. Interesting, how would you like to have been Obed-Edom? It's like, oh, bring this, bring this into my house, bring this into my house. Yeah, all this guy did was touch it and he killed him. It's like, uh-uh. No, it was an amazing thing. They took it into the house of Obed-Edom, and the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Blessed by the presence of God. Now, David figured out, wow, this, this guy has been incredibly blessed. The presence of God's there. We just need to figure out how to do this. I have got to have this near my house in my city. The presence of God has got to be there. I want the presence of God. And so he, he came up with another plan. Only this time he decided he needed to check with the priests, with the men of God, talk to them, check with the Lord God himself first, and then decide how to move his presence. So they did so in verse 11, chapter 15, verse 11, 12. I just encourage you to read those two, those two chapters because this is, I don't really have time to go into all of the details, but... He said to, but he said to them on, in verse 12, David said to these guys, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. So this required priests and Levites to completely sanctify themselves, to be made ready to carry the presence of God on their shoulders to bring it into the city. I just think that this is significant. When we think back about even Mount Sinai, when God really wanted all of the children of Israel to be priests that he could speak to directly, and they said, nah, nah, let Moses be the one that hears your voice, and then let him bring it to us. It's like, so the, 
So the task was placed on the shoulders of the priests and the Levites, which were considered to be the sanctified men of God, the ones to move and carry the presence of God. Man. So, and because you did it wrong the first time, verse 13, the Lord of God broke out against us because we did it wrong, you did it wrong. Uh, We didn't consult him about the proper order. So we're going to do it in the proper order this time. And they did. They did it in the proper order. They did it the right way. And the men sanctified themselves and they carried the presence of God on their shoulders to the place where it was to be delivered. And when the presence of God showed up there, here's something that also you should read because it's, it's amazing. Go back to 2 Samuel. I'll give you some homework. 2 Samuel, 6th chapter, 1 through 23. In fact, the whole 6th chapter. Amazing thing to read because when the presence of God showed up there, David was so excited that he was a man king, a king warrior. He was an amazing warrior king. He was an amazing leader of men, but he wore two, we we would say two hats. He wore two robes. One, he wore an ephod, the same as a priest. So he was both priest and king, depending on which task was necessary as to which robe that he would be wearing. It's like uh, interesting, interesting to think about. Now, he wore, as he came into the city of David, into Jerusalem, this time he was wearing the ephod, and he was dancing and twirling and celebrating, and he was just so, 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 so filled with joy to have the presence of God coming into his city. That makes sense, doesn't it? But he's not wearing that kingly robe anymore. He's wearing the priestly ephod, and he was undignifying himself completely, humbling himself in an undignified manner, and his wife saw that. I mean, he's dancing, he's twirling, he's so excited. I think of the worship that we do down here. It just so blesses me. Yeah, that just... Hard to wipe this smile off my face. Sometimes I stand there, just kind of turn a circle and even just start to a little bit of joyful laughter because of what I see happening up here. People worshiping in freedom. Well, that's what David did. He just jumped out. He was whirling and twirling. and He went upstairs after, after blessing all the people. I'm giving you the really short version. He went upstairs to see his wife who had been watching out the window this whole thing. And she said... Oh my goodness, I am so ashamed of you, the spectacle that you made of yourself. You made yourself so, 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 so common, such a commoner that you made the king acting like a commoner, dancing and twirling in front of the maidens and oh, I couldn't be more disappointed in you, my husband. And he was really disappointed to hear what his wife was saying. And he said, let me just tell you something, wife. God chose me over your dad. (laughs) God chose me over Saul. He made me king, and I want to worship him for that. 
Okay, that, that, that was... I'm going to move to another... Here's what we're going to do. Fast forward here. Now, God wanted... He had a plan. Old Testament... Uh, harsh. Wouldn't you say harsh? Harsh. We would say harsh. Harsh, full of rules. Old Covenant, harsh. Many rules. Death required. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he came up with another plan. For God so, world that he, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him, his Son, should have everlasting life. Everybody say everlasting life. For God so loved us that he sacrificed his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in his Son would have everlasting life. What about, I say what about the rest of us, like that wouldn't be right. What about the rest of them? Those that don't believe, we're all going to have everlasting life, aren't we? We are immortal beings. Well, if you think about that, we're immortal. The only part of us that's going to die is just the flesh. Peter refers to it as, as that tent that I dwell in. That tent is going to pass away, but we're going to end up being immortal, living forever. Our spirit and soul will be going on forever and ever and ever. It's like, everybody say, I'm immortal. Try it again. Me too. We are immortals. We have a soul and a spirit that is going to live for eternity. And because God so loved us, he gave his son to be the sacrifice so that we could have eternal life with him. There's a hallelujah right there. Praise God. I want to grab one more scripture, and then we're going to move Acts 13. Acts 13, 36 through 39. For David, we're talking about David. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. In other words, his body, his flesh deteriorated. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. His flesh didn't, was not corrupted. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that though this man is preached to you, though this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, through this man, and by him... Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. That's good news. That's good news. By him, by Jesus, everyone who believes is justified just as if I'd never sinned or never done those things. The slate's wiped clean from all of the things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses or the old covenant. Okay? 
Now what I really want to get into is some, some of the exciting stuff. Matthew 21, 1 through 16. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 16. Now, we were talking about bringing the entrance of the presence of God coming into the city of Jerusalem, how it happened the first time. Everybody's with me? Nobody's falling asleep? Okay. The presence of God came the first time on the backs of men, on the shoulders and the responsibility of the priests and stuff, the only way to move the presence of God effectively. Now, the presence of God is coming into Jerusalem New Covenant style. Everybody say New Covenant. New Covenant style. Here we go. Going to break down, going to read, then break down a little bit, or maybe even read the whole thing and then come back through and break it down. Jesus had been with his disciples. He's talking about when he says they. So chapter 21, Matthew, verse 1. Now when they, Jesus and the disciples, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples did. They went, did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. Set him on them. Now this is titled, chapter 21, The Triumphal Entry. We're talking about King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ coming into the city of Jerusalem. The big triumph time, right? You're all with me. So this doesn't really sound like the vehicle of triumph, does it? A colt of a donkey, never been ridden before, and not even a saddle. I, just, I started breaking this down. It's like, oh my goodness. The colt of a donkey, the colt of a donkey. I started thinking about, they went and, and, and Jesus said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go get a donkey. It's like, and he's going to ride the colt. So this thing has not been ridden. This thing has not been broken. So I did a little bit of research on between horses and donkeys. Which one's easier to ride? Which one's easier to break? Which one's easier to train? And it seems that donkeys are really intelligent animals, also really stubborn animals, and they can be considered much, much more difficult to break. It's like, huh, okay. And in Matthew here, it says, bring the donkey, bring, bring the mom and the colt with her. It's like, wow, that seems to have some significance. And as I studied and researched this and then slept on it, meditated on it, it's like, oh, 
feel like the Lord started giving me revelation or after revelation of, of what some of this symbolizes. It's like bring the mom and the colt. So the mom and the colt are going to be going on this, on this ride, on this journey together, but Jesus will be riding the colt. It's like, how does that even make sense? The donkey undoubtedly had been trained. So he's going to jump on an unridden, untrained colt to ride down there while the mother's right there. Does this make sense to you? It does. Well, okay. It does me too now. I felt like, and there's no saddle. It's like, so pay attention to this part. The disciples threw their garments, their robes, over the donkey's back for Jesus to sit on. That was the saddle. Didn't even saddle this donkey up. It's like, wow. So we're talking a donkey. You know, the birth of Jesus was a virgin birth. Born to a virgin. It's like, huh. So there are things that didn't happen the way we would normally expect that to happen. Well, this donkey had never been broken, never had been ridden, this, this, this young donkey. And that's the one that he, that he climbs onto to ride in. To ride in. And, and the mother is never mentioned again about the mom donkey. She's never mentioned again. But he rode in on the colt. That's, that, that's the one that's mentioned. And I believe that that's representing Jesus. That that colt represents Jesus. The, <laughs> the presence of God the Father riding in on the colt Jesus. Mary, now the donkey, gave birth. The mom donkey gave birth to Jesus. But Jesus is the one that was carrying in the presence of God, the promise for salvation, all of the promises of God riding on the back of Jesus, the man who submitted submitted himself to the limitations of the flesh, becoming son of man with all of the attributes inside him of God. This make sense? The donkey part's starting to make sense? Okay. Wow. We can keep going. Are you guys good till about 1230 or so? <laughs> Okay, it was the birthday deal. I'm blaming them. <laughs> Presence of God, <laughs> the glory of God, coming in on a humble, humble Jesus. Submitted himself, humbled himself to all the limitations rode in on a colt, and I'm thinking, you know, they really are intelligent animals, and they, he perceived, undoubtedly that young colt perceived that it was the presence of God that he was bearing as he rode into the city, and he was completely obedient to do exactly as the Lord God, who was sitting on his back, desired. Does this make sense? So as he came into, uh, 
So the disciples went and they threw their garments, they threw their clothes on him, and a very great multitude spread their garments on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Just another revelation that, that I think a symbol of a revelation that as the people realized that this humble, humble man who was fully, who was fully God with the limitations as the, the flesh he was wrapped in as man was humbly coming in his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a colt, for a saddle were the garments of a couple of the disciples, the two that went after it. Put, the, put the, So you're with me. So, as we move on, I, I really believe that we are going to talk some about garments a little bit, but we put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He, he, the presence of God, inhabits the worship and the praise of his people. It's like, okay. So sometimes there are things that we are wearing. Sometimes it can be a wall. I just, you can think of it as a, as a wall, but I think of this as a garment, as a representation of the things that were between the presence of God and the intimacy and the presence of God of Jesus and of them. So they were shedding their garments, throwing them down on the road for the donkey to, to, to step on. Is this making sense? It's like, wow. They're taking off anything that separates them from the presence and the glory of this man Jesus who's riding on this donkey and the donkey treads on those. Does this make sense? It's like, oh, 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 oh. So, you know, these are becoming glorified garments after they've been thrown at the feet of Jesus. Jesus has put in glory on these garments. So when they come back around and put on these garments, they now are glorified garments. I even think that it's like, oh, now you're going, now you're stretching out there a little bit. I, I feel like whew. it says, You will be endued with power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be endued. You will be wrapped. You'll be garmentized. You will have the garment wrapped around you. You will be wrapped, clothed in the Holy Spirit. You'll be endued with power from on high when you're wrapped, when the garment of the Holy Spirit has been put on you. It's like... It's like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. What did the, the prodigal son, you all know the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know the story of the prodigal son, I can tell you right where to find it. Luke 15, 11 through 32. The prodigal son, after he had been out in the pig pen, wallowing in the mire, all of the junk that he got into from, you know, prostitutes, wild spending, his inheritance was gone. 
He's ready to come back to his father. His father was waiting desperately for him to come back. And what's the first thing he did? He said, take him a clean robe. Take him a clean robe. Put a new robe on him. Clean him up. Put a new robe on him. See, when we're, when we're baptized with Jesus into his death, we are resurrected with Jesus to walk into newness of life. And we are put on that clean robe. We put on a new robe, a clean robe, to walk in newness of life, endued with power from on high, to succeed at the level that Jesus has called us to succeed. I think when I think of, of, of praise and, and, and worship and the value of, of praise and worship as we, uh, as we just enter into his, his presence and, and we are worshiping to an audience of one. I think back of David and his, and his worship. It's like, you know what? It doesn't matter what you think, wife. It doesn't matter what these people think. It only matters what God thinks. I'm worshiping to an audience of one, and it matters what he thinks of me. When I'm obedient to him, he loves it. He loves it. He inhabits the praises of his people. And as Jesus was coming in on the, on the donkey, as Jesus was coming in on the donkey, and the people were just praising him and praising him and throwing their garments for the donkey to, to, you know, to walk on. And if they didn't have, they were, they were throwing down palms, branches from trees, palm branches, and and, uh, and, and Jesus was, he was eating that up. He was loving the worship that he was receiving and the praises that he was receiving. And still today, he loves the praises that we give up to him. We come to bless him. It's not just for us to walk away with blessing. We come to bless him. That's half of it. John 14, 21 says, Those who love me will keep my commands and I will manifest myself to them. I will love them. The Father will love them. John 14, uh, 20 and 21. It's like Jesus manifesting himself to us. is such a powerful, personal powerful and personal thing. It's awesome when we get to, when we get to feel and experience, but when we do, when we get down on, on, on all fours on our hands and knees and do the ugly cry and shake, and uh, you know what, that's such a, such a wonderful time in his presence where he's manifesting himself privately and personally to you and me. I think, yeah. I think it's time to keep moving. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, a very great multitude spread the garments on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, he came confident, emboldened, knowing who he was, what his mission was, and said, my house, as it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. I just think there's a, a big statement right here to make. The church is not a business. The church is not a business. The church is not a business. It's a family-run house of prayer where lives are changed, where the power of God is manifest, the presence of God is manifest. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out... <laughs> Cast out demons freely you've received, freely give. Cleanse the lepers. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And what did he do? He healed them. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Did you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to him, I'm going to hold on here just for a second. That same spirit that King David's wife, Michal, however you say her name, something like that, had the same thing as these Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees had. It's like a very religious, strict spirit that said, you cannot do that kind of thing in the temple. Jesus said to them, I love this, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Out of the mouth of babes so the children were in the temple shouting out, Hosanna, son of David. They were praising him. And this irritated those in charge. It's like out of the mouth of babes. You know, pure and undefiled worship is to watch kids. My daughter sitting on this, this kid of mine sitting on the corner right there from when she was young and small. We could hear her upstairs dancing, praising, whirling, jumping. Uh, she's been worshiping that same way, and she still does. And that helps lead us into a place of freedom in worship. And I am so grateful and so thankful for that. That instead of when we throw off those robes of pride 
those robes of condemnation, those robes of worrying about, you know, but I, maybe I did something wrong. You know, those are the ones we can sit and judge. I remember there was a point in my life a long, 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 long time ago watching a, a, a couple jumping and dancing here and knowing some of the things that had, you know, had taken place in their lives. It's like, wow, they should not be up front worshiping like that. It's like, wrong, 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 wrong. They should be up there worshiping like that because it's in that worship <laughs> that God can speak to them, that God can change their lives when it's genuine worship before the Lord. Man, I don't care what you did yesterday. It's repent and worship Him today. Okay. Nursing infants is perfected praise. It's like, how in the world is a nursing infant perfected praise? I'm so glad you asked. Another revelation. It's like, I was pondering that. It's like, it's like oh, oh. Do you know when you... you when I'll say when you watch your I'm going to say when you watch a mother nurse a baby when you watch your wife nurse your baby and see the intimacy in the connection that's taking place there every need of that baby is completely fulfilled that baby is satisfied to the core from the top of his head to the soles of his feet and you can watch that baby, you know, take its, its other hand and play with mom's ear or play with, you know, just, just rubbing mom in just in a loving, loving manner where there's this incredible connection of complete dependency on mama. It's like when we come into a place where we're worshiping, where we're worshiping Jesus, in that place of complete dependency, not thinking about anything else, without another care in the world, then we have that kind of intimacy, that kind of connection, that's perfected praise. <sighs> I can remember, that was my fourth child right there. I can remember after a while, Renee taking her and nursing her and seeing that, that intimacy and that connection that was happening there and me as the father feeling a little jealous that she could end up having that kind of connection, that complete fulfillment of, you know, patting her mama and just loving her mama and being completely fulfilled, saying, I want that. That sounds really weird, but I'm not. Uh, uh, stop it. I'm serious. Does this not make sense? <clears throat> that kind of connection with Jesus where it's complete intimacy. The place is filled. That place is filled where I can do like the woman... <clears throat> Excuse me, like the woman who, who came and fell at the feet of Jesus and just cried tears, washed his feet with her tears, and then dried it with her hair. 
you know, that kind of connection, that kind of intimacy with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going one more place. Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will dine with him and he with me. You want that intimate connection with Jesus? (laughs) Do you want that intimate connection with Jesus? And he is standing at the door knocking. That humble, humble. (laughs) The Spirit of God cloaked, cloaked in humanity and humility is knocking on the door. He's pursuing you with his love. Second, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You know, times of of, of real... When we're building times of intimacy and connection, 31 years ago, um, yeah, next month, 31 years ago, I was like knocking on the door of of a blind date. No, she wasn't blind. She's beautiful. Uh... I was knocking on the door, and had she not answered the door, we wouldn't end up having the, the, the connection, the marriage, the relationship that we have. She had to answer the door, then she had to walk through that door. Let's stand together. In fact, the prayer team could come up here. I knocked on the door. She came in a in a sweater, simple sweater, always elegant though. Oh my goodness, this this elegant bride of mine came in a sweater and answered the door and invited me to come in and meet her parents and get to get to see them, get to meet them. And then she stepped out the door. We went and had a meal together. It's like over a meal to be able to sit over a meal and talk and, 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 and begin to share the, the secrets and the things of your heart. That's what Jesus is, is inviting us to today. If you've never, if you have never developed or established that relationship with Jesus, he's saying, man, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock, and all you have to do is open that door, and I'll come in, and we'll start to get connected. I love you. I am pursuing you in humility 
Jesus never, ever forces you to do anything. He just beckons you. He, he just calls you. And he goes, If this morning you need a, just a time of refreshing, you just want to come up here. We're going to end up doing some worship here together. Say, so if you just want to come up here for a time of refreshing and say, Jesus, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. I want more intimacy with you. I say, just come on up. There's nothing I want more than a greater intimacy with you. Like the mother has with her baby, that's the kind of intimacy. I know that I have this spot that you can fill for me, Lord. I have this, this spot. I have this longing for more of you, for greater intimacy. God, I, I just want to know you better. I want you to know me better. I want to receive your love this morning. I know you love me. I want to receive it. And I just want to love you back. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you gave us your son. I thank you for that sacrifice. Jesus, 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 Jesus. You're so, so good. Your humility, your love, your kindness, your tenderness, your authority, your power. I just want more. I just want more. Fill me, Lord. Fill me. Fill me to overflowing with your goodness, with your spirit. My desire is for more intimacy with you. I love you, I worship you, I praise you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We're just going to worship together for a little bit. And you are perfect in all of your ways.